What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling. With four angel babies myself and two rainbow babies here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. And before we begin, huge shout out to the Radis fam on the internet the lamb fam for supporting the sponsors who support our show so we can continue to provide this weekly for free hello everyone we have heidi best on today's episode i am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her and her story so heidi i am going to toss it at you start wherever you would like with your story Okay, thanks, Shelly, and thank you so much for um, getting up early and having me on. I'm an early riser, so this was perfect for me, but um, thank you. Um, Well, I appreciate platforms like this so much um, because I really do love connecting with other families and specifically other women that have a history like I do with um, perinatal loss, um, whether it be, you know, chemical pregnancy, miscarriages, um, stillbirth, you know, I just have found that in my own experience that I truly started to get some semblance of healing once I started opening up a little bit more and connecting with other women. And sometimes it you know, was just simply by saying, I know where you've been, I've been there myself. And then you kind of talk about your own experiences and similarities of what you've gone through and kind of annoying things along the way. Um, I have almost a two and a half year old. Um, His name's Oliver. And when people look at him, they just see kind of like this really sweet, um, precocious little kid. And, you know, it's always the questions that I get like, oh, is he your only child? Um, Is this your first child? And it's funny to me how sometimes those very simple questions can bring up kind of like a flood of emotions. And for me, Oliver is my first live birth. Um, You know, he's my first earthbound baby. Before I was pregnant with Oliver, I, in the summer of 2017, my husband and I, have been married at that point for probably like close to eight years. And we had waited quite a while to start a family. And once we were both kind of on board, I think he was on board a little bit earlier than I was. We were like, okay, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's see what happens. You know, we're excited. We've, we've traveled, we've stayed up late. We've, you know, stayed in bed, you know, maybe too long. We've really enjoyed our lives and been very selfish um, about how we spend our lives. And now we're kind of ready to think about somebody else. And so we kind of started trying. And I remember that first month of trying, um, you know, the next month my period came and I was like, oh, you know, I'm a little disappointed. And I was like, well, that's a good sign that I'm really excited about this. And so the following month, my husband was traveling a lot. So we actually ended only, um, were intimate together like one time. And the next month, my period was late. And I was like, oh, you know, I didn't think anything of it. And days go by, my period's still late. And I was like, this is interesting. And so I started testing, but I was testing negative. So I was like, okay, you know, this is just like a weird month, whatever. Um, but then like a week later, my period still hadn't come. And so I tested one more time. At this point, I was almost testing daily and um, it was positive. And I was so excited. I ran downstairs. I basically like threw the test at my husband and he was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, this is so exciting. And so, um, you know, I just kind of thought, wow, like I'm pregnant. And so I called my doctor's office and they got me in the next day for a blood test which um, not knowing anything about any of the medical terms going along with um, early pregnancy or pregnancy, I was told it was called an HCG test. I didn't even know what an HCG um, test meant or what the abbreviation meant. 
but we were leaving to go on vacation. So they were really nice and got me in. So I went in, I took a blood test and um, met with a nurse practitioner and she was just kind of going over basic things like um, my last menstrual period and um, just a few other questions. And she was like, okay, well, you know, we'll get the results for your blood test um, tomorrow and we'll give you a call. And She's like, then we'll probably have you come back a week later and um, have you retest. And I was like, okay, great. And I thought it was actually kind of funny too, because she was like, based on your last menstrual period, you are, and she was like almost, um, she was like five and a half weeks pregnant. And I was like, what? I was like, oh my gosh. You know, like I, I didn't understand. And I basically was like, how are babies born? Because I didn't realize that your pregnancy kind of starts from your last menstrual cycle. I literally thought your pregnancy started at conception. So I went from thinking I was like literally a day or so pregnant to finding out like I was almost six weeks pregnant. So it was like blowing my mind. Um, But so I went home and, you know, told my husband, like, they'll give us a call tomorrow. So, um, you know, we're on the way to the airport the next day and the nurse practitioner called and said, hi, you know, Heidi, I have your, the results from your blood test. Congratulations. You're pregnant. She was like, you know, your HHG level, she's like the hormone level that we check, um, to see if you're pregnant. She was like, you know, it's a little low on the scale. It's within the normal range, but it's a little bit low considering, um, your last menstrual period. So she's like, like we kind of talked about, we're going to have you come in the next week, uh, to retest. What we like to see is every 48 hours or so those levels double. So she's like, you know, have a great vacation. And, um, when you come back, just set up an appointment for, um, you know, a repeat. And I was like, okay, great. But a little bit of what she said kind of like crept in my mind. And of course, you know, Google is like your worst friend. So, um, while we were on vacation, I mean, I tried to settle down and relax and enjoy myself, take naps and just, you know, have a good time with my husband. But I did have this kind of lingering feeling like every time I went to the bathroom, like, you know, she had told me like, just, you know, notice any symptoms, like if you're bleeding or if you're cramping, you know, pay attention, give us a call. And so I just kept thinking like, she seemed more like erring on the side of caution. And so it kind of put me on edge, but at the end of the vacation, like nothing happened. I felt great. So I was really starting to like lean in to the pregnancy and I came back in, I got the repeat blood test and the next day, um, she called and it was just like a completely different tone of voice. And she was like, okay, Heidi, you know, you came in and your first, um, HEG blood test came back as like 200. And she was like, you were right, right within the range, but like on the low end, she was like yesterday when you came in a week later, we would have liked to have seen your levels double, you know, at least you know, two to three times. She was like, and it really only doubled once. She was like, what that kind of makes us think is that this is possibly not a viable pregnancy. She's like, but we can't rule it out just yet. Um, So we want you to come back in tomorrow for another blood test and we'll kind of see what's going on. So, um, you know, at this point, I just kind of felt like the wind kind of got knocked out of me and, you know, there's really nothing I can do except for kind of do what she's saying. And I came back in and, you know, took the blood test and then she called the next day and was like, okay, at this point, you know, I told you your levels had only doubled about once, um, in a week, um, today they barely went up. So at that point, In like a week and a half time, I went from like having an HEG test level of like 200 to like 700. So she was like, what we want you to do at this point, we want you to come in, we want to do an ultrasound because at this point, what we want to rule out is that you um, are like having an ectopic pregnancy, which she had to explain that to me. Um, She was like, we just want to make sure um, because your levels are so, so low that the, um, you know, embryo didn't attach somewhere else that it shouldn't have. And so, um, the next day I went in for an ultrasound and I went in thinking like, this is obviously not a viable pregnancy, but I don't know what it is beyond that. And they called me back the ultrasound tech, you know, she's like explaining what she's going to do. And she, you know, um, basically, you know, puts the 
ultrasound kind of like that wand inside and she's looking around my uterus and I'm like, wow, this is the first time I have seen my uterus. Like I don't even know what to look for. So she was like, oh, you know, here's the sack right here. But she's like, I, you know, I don't see a fetal pull, but it just looks like you're a little bit earlier in your pregnancy. And I'm like, oh my God, like, that's amazing. I'm just like a little bit earlier in my pregnancy. Like, this is great. She's like, you know, I'll have the doctor go over the results with you um, and, you know, have a good rest of your day. And I was like, okay. So then um, she just brings me to another room to wait, like just a small little room. And I'm just waiting. And then a few minutes later, the doctor comes in and she sits down and she's like, okay, Heidi, you know, I went over the ultrasound um, results with the tech. And she's like, basically um, what this is, is you're experiencing a miscarriage. So I, I just thought everything was okay. And then minutes later, I'm back to, it's not okay. And she basically explained, it just looks that most likely, you know, there was an implantation problem and that, um, you know, this isn't going to be a viable pregnancy that'll probably, um, you know, start experiencing miscarriage symptoms in like a few days. Since at this point I should be roughly eight weeks, um, long that it will most likely be a pretty easy experience to have at home. I shouldn't require medical intervention, like taking any pills or having any surgeries. Um, but that they certainly want me to call if I have any sort of serious, serious symptoms. And she just said, you know, um, you know, basically you'll have the miscarriage and then you'll, you'll come back a couple of weeks later and we'll start checking your blood levels again to make sure that your hormones start um, going back to zero. She was like, as close as they get to zero, um, the next step is for you to have another period. And then um, you can totally try again to get pregnant. And she just kind of like sent me on my way. And I really don't remember anything else after that in terms of like how I got home. Um, I know that I was like in shock and I know that I was really angry and I was really upset, but mostly I was just kind of scared because I didn't really know too much of what to expect. I mean, she basically just said, um, you know, I'd have a miscarriage. She didn't give me any sort of like, this is what to expect. This is what could happen. Um, it could start this weekend. Um, it could start next week, but it's going to happen. This is basically inevitable. So it was a Friday. Um, I'm pretty sure it was a Friday. Yeah. And I went home and I told my husband and I just was like, we had so many things we were supposed to do that weekend because it was the summer and there were different parties we were supposed to go to. And I was like, what I would like for you to do is I'd like you to still keep the commitments that we had to see other people. Um, I know you had plans on hanging out with friends tonight. Um, I really, really want you to still do that. And I was like, honestly, I just kind of want to be by myself. I, I, I don't know what to expect. And I think I just want to stay home and be near, you know, like the bathroom and just like be able to just be, you know, in like a relaxing safe space where I don't have to worry about this is going to happen at this person's party, or this is going to happen at this restaurant or this bar. And he was like, okay. I mean, I'm sure he probably was like, I don't want to be around here for this. things. <laughs> And so basically Friday night, nothing happens. Saturday, nothing happens. Sunday, um, nothing happens. And um, Monday, um, I started bleeding a little bit and I was okay. All right. This is, this is happening. Okay. This is fine. And then Tuesday, my husband went out of town for work and um, Tuesday night, I was just kind of like laying in bed watching TV. And all of a sudden I just basically had like the most excruciating pain of my life, um, going on and I can't quite explain it, but it was like running through my stomach, through my back. Um, I couldn't really move. Um, our medicine was kind of like in our kitchen at the time. Um, we had like a makeshift medicine cabinet and I couldn't even get myself there to take any ibuprofen or Tylenol or anything. So I basically was just like, I'm dying. Like I actually thought I should call an ambulance because I was just experiencing like the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. Um, I know at one point I went to the bathroom. I really don't know what happened. I don't, I absolutely don't. Um, but then I, at some point, I guess I woke up the next morning and I was just like bleeding a little bit. And that bleeding kind of lasted from that previous Monday, the night before, to like the following Monday. So it was just kind of like a, a week long 
um, period beyond that, like Tuesday night, which was like just unexplainable to me. I remember that Friday, my best friend and I were going to the Lady Gaga concert. She was performing at Wrigley. And I remember she was like, oh my God, like we won't go. And I was like, we are going. These tickets were like $300. We are like on the floor, like at Wrigley, like we're going, this is happening. And so we went and I remember like going to the bathroom at Wrigley and, you know, I had like a couple of pads on me, but I remember like, like a little bit of blood just like dropping on the floor in the, you know, bathroom at Wrigley Field. And I was like, yeah, probably, you know, shouldn't have gone to the concert, but it's like, I have to do something. And who more to understand than Lady Gaga, you know, like she, she doesn't care if I, you know, this is happening. Like she's performing. She's not even thinking about me right now. And I just remember thinking, I'm so happy that like, we went to the concert still and I'm not a shut in and I'm living my life and it's sad, but it's kind of funny at the same time. And I just remember, um, you know, like uh, when it was done, like a week later, I just was like, okay, now I'm going to start going back in, like they said, and check my hormone levels. And they wanted to still rule out that it was, you know, not going to be an ectopic pregnancy, which it was not, thank goodness. And I remember I had gone in for my first blood test to see that my levels were going down. And I remember the phlebotomist was like, oh my God, do you think that you're pregnant? And I was like, I kind of had that gulp. And I was like, no, I am, um, I couldn't really get through it, but I was like, I'm checking my blood levels. I um, had miscarriage and they just want to see that my levels are going back down to zero. And she was like, oh my God. And she like literally put the needle in my arm and like ran out. And I kind of laughed. <laughs> I was like, I guess like, that'll teach you to ask stupid questions. Um, and then I know like, you know, my, my period came like just maybe like a week or so later, it really was just kind of like clockwork when it was due anyways, which I found kind of fascinating. And they had just given me the go ahead. Like they're like, try again. And I, you know, just kind of told my husband and like, you know, I, I feel like we've waited so long and I'm like, this sucks. But I was like, I, I kind of just, Hey, we got pregnant. Like, that's a good sign. Like, um, my mom was going to Seattle. Um, she had retired and she's going to Seattle for like a week and a half and then Canada for just like her own little trip to, you know, congratulate herself from retiring. And I was like, Hey mom, like, do you mind if I tag along for a few days just to, you know, get out of here and do something nice for myself, um, before we start trying again. And she's like, Oh my God, that would be so great. So I met her for a few days. Um, my husband went out of town for a few days for work and, um, we were walking through like Pike, Pike, Mar Pike Place Market and I remember seeing this like super cute onesie with like a dog on it that looked like our dog Wrigley and I was like, oh my God, I need to get this onesie and my mom was like, do you mind if I buy it for you and it'll be kind of like my good luck present for you and I was like, absolutely, thank you so much, like I love it. And the next day I flew back home. My mom went to Canada. My husband was actually flying in like within an hour of me from where he was traveling for work. So we kind of like met off the plane. It was like such an amazing reunion. And um, I had been checking like my ovulation on um, this like digital ovulation kit. And it basically was like saying like that weekend I would be like a peak ovulation. So I was like, hi, like we're back. Like, let's do this. Let's have fun. And, um, it, needless to say, it was like a really fun, low stress weekend. And, um, I found out just like the following, um, month that I was pregnant with Oliver, I actually tested so early, um, because I was like feeling kind of like that shit crazy. And, um, this like little high schooler, like walked by my car where I had to like jam on the brakes so I didn't hit her. It was just like a classic teenager fuck you moment. And I literally like rolled down my window, like an angry PTA mom and just like let her have it. And I was like, I should possibly take a pregnancy test. It was either that or like residual hormones left over from my miscarriage, but I was like, Hmm. And so I tested and I was actually like five days before my period was due. And that pregnancy test like lit up. And I remember just thinking, 
I am going to take everything that I have and welcome this pregnancy and everything that comes along with it. I can throw up round the clock and I am going to just be so excited. And I'm so happy I did that because I was so fortunate a month after having my miscarriage to get pregnant with Oliver and to be so naive, even though I went through a miscarriage at just not realizing that it could happen again. I just opened my arms. I looked up and I like welcomed that pregnancy with like everything in my being. And it was like the best experience of my life. And I am not like, uh, oh my God, babies and they're the best thing in the world. And you know, you don't become a woman truly until you have one. Like I never was like that and I'm still not like that. But I will tell you, it really was the best experience of my life because I felt super connected with what was going on with my body. I was living my life to like the fullest. I was still working out every day. I was having fun with my friends. I was just enjoying every aspect, but I was pregnant. It was like a little secret. We waited for a really long time um, to tell people we were pregnant. Um, and when we did, I just think that everybody was so happy for me after knowing that I had like just come off of a loss that, you know, they were like, wow, this is, this is going to happen for you. And so everybody kind of like rallied around me and it just was, it was the best. Um, I remember, um, with Oliver, it was an extremely normal pregnancy. Very, very, very boring. Um, with the exception of we moved into a new house when I was eight months pregnant and, I um, did not realize that the banister going down to the main level kind of stopped at like the second step. And I was taking our dog Wrigley out um, to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And I was like, oh, I don't want to turn the light on. Like, cause sometimes when you do that, it's hard for you to fall back to sleep. So I like, kept the light off and like the second step down, I, you know, you know, kept kind of reaching for the railing that never came. And I just kind of like fell in the last couple of steps and just kind of like fell on my butt. But I was like, Oh my God, that totally freaked me out. And then I remember the next day I couldn't walk and um, I ended up breaking my, um, a portion of my heel. And so uh, I had to go into like our office first and they did a stress test on Oliver and he was just like happy as a clam. And that was great. And the most important thing, but then I had to go to another office for me and they were like, yeah, you broke your heel, you stupid idiot. And so um, that was probably the only thing that happened when I was pregnant with him, but um, they just put me in a boot and, um, you know, I like thought possibly I would still have the boot on when I delivered him, but it came off a month later. And so other than that, super boring pregnancy. It was amazing. And he ended up, um, I got induced um, and he came at 40 plus two days. So it was a super chill delivery. My best friend was in the room with us and, you know, it was just like very relaxing, best playlist. Um, my doctor was like, uh, this is the coolest playlist I've ever heard. Like a lot of women just kind of were like, you know, wanting to, you know, just listen to relaxing music and, or there's no music. And meanwhile, I'm like listening to Cardi B. So Oliver came out to some Cardi B song. I can't quite remember, but, um, it was pretty funny. And, um, that was it, you know, um, kind of spent like my first year with Oliver, just like learning all about him and having a really good time. And I always wanted girls always, always walk like always wanted a girl. And I remember when they had told me that Oliver was, you know, well, Oliver was going to be an Oliver um, during the genetic testing. It was kind of funny. The genetic counselor was laughing because I was like, it's a boy. And it was like, literally like boy was held out for like 30 seconds. And she just started laughing. And I was like, all right, like, okay, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this kid, but I'll figure something out. And, um, Honestly, like people say sometimes like God gives you like what you need. And if I, am just going to assume that that's true because Oliver is seriously like so funny, like he's like the best and I don't know why, but like for whatever reason he like loves me and we've just like connected so much. And I would just say like, after having him, I was like, this is definitely like for me, like I'm excited to do this again. I was really sad. Um, when, I could kind of feel him coming out. I was like, wow, I, I 
I miss this. I miss having him in me. And so I just remember thinking like when he was kind of getting close to like, I don't know, like a year, close to a year, my husband and I are like, okay, like, should we like try again? And so we did. And I ended up getting pregnant, like my, I want to say our second month trying. And um, shortly after his one year birthday, found out that I was pregnant again. And uh, around 12 weeks, um, right before 12 weeks, um, I had like a little bit of spotting and I called my doctor's office and they're like, oh, you know, um, actually it's, it's fairly normal, but, um, you're due anyways, like to come in for your 12 week ultrasound. So they're like, we'll just have you come in a couple of days earlier and we'll just check things out. And so I went in and I remember we were kind of running late because they got us in last minute. And, um, so my husband was like, I'll just drop you off and you run up and I'll park. And so in the time, um, he dropped me off and he was parking, they actually brought me back already and just said, like, as soon as he walked in, they would bring him back to the ultrasound room. And the ultrasound tech, um, you know, put the wand in, was kind of looking around and um, she wasn't really saying anything. And I was kind of looking at the screen. At this point, I kind of knew I should see, you know, maybe a flicker, maybe some movement. And I was like, you, you don't see a heartbeat, do you? She was like, no. I, I don't like literally seconds later, my husband, Phil walked in and I was like, okay. I'm like, he was like, everything looking good. And I was like, you know what, babe? I'm like, um, why don't you come in? Why don't you sit down for a second? And so he sat down he's like, okay. And I'm like, Phil, it's not good. And he was like, okay. I'm like, there's, there's not heartbeat anymore. And so like, I kind of told him in stages and um, the ultrasound tech was like, Heidi, I'm going to exit the room for a second just to give you guys some time. But she was like, I am going to send somebody in to um, bring you into another room and we'll have either a nurse practitioner or a doctor come talk to you. And I was like, okay. And like literally seconds before we had gotten to the doctor's office, I'd actually got a phone call from the genetic counselor saying, um, your baseline testing came back negative and she had told me the gender. And so I hadn't told Phil yet. And so I was like, okay, so he knows that there's no longer heartbeat. And I was like, do I just rip the bandaid off and tell him what we're supposed to have? And so I was like, you know what? I think he should know what I know, like kind of knew at this point. And so I was like, Phil, it was a girl. <laughs> I think that was super hard because like I said, I always wanted a girl. And when I was little and stupid and didn't know anything, I was thinking, you know, I hope I have two girls, you know, it's just that simple. And I had only found out like literally within an hour of our ultrasound that it was a girl. So I really did not even get to enjoy it. I did think that the genetic counselor calling like within an hour of the ultrasound that they had gotten me scheduled for, that that was a good sign, you know, saying like everything came back negative and that it was a girl, like, why would I get that phone call? And then literally within the hour, find out that wasn't the case. I thought that seemed very cruel, but that is just kind of what happened. And I remember the nurse practitioner had come in and she had said, Heidi, you know, I'm so sorry. She's like, you know, you, you are pretty, pretty far along in your first trimester. You know, she's like, you are like a week and a half away from being into your second. She was like, I know that you had a previous miscarriage and you were able to have it at home with no complications. She's like, you have a couple of options. She was like, you, you could have a miscarriage naturally, but she's like, you're far enough along that it's possible even if we gave you medication to speed it up, um, move it along, she was like, you could retain kind of some of the tissue and you would require surgery anyways. She's like, so what we would like to do is we would like for you to come in tomorrow and we would like for you to have what's called the DNC. And it's just where they remove all of the tissue and the contents of the uterus from this pregnancy and um, she was like, at that point, we can set it out for testing. We can find out what happened and you can get more information. 
And I just remember thinking, I guess that's what we need to do. And so the next day I went in for the surgery um, and I live in Chicago and I went to um, Prentice Women's Hospital and they have kind of an entire surgical floor um, that kind of does a few surgeries, but this one I would say is probably one of the most common surgeries that they do Monday through Friday. And the team is incredible. Um, and one of the doctors from my women's group um, actually um, was scheduled to perform the surgery, but the team surrounding her um, is like the team that works at the surgical floor um, at the hospital. And you can just tell, like, they do this all day. Like, they know what to say to comfort you. You know, you can have a chaplain come in. You can have um, a perinatal loss coordinator come in and talk to you before the surgery. Um, and it honestly was such a short experience. And then I just remember my doctor actually that delivered Oliver was the doctor that performed my DNC. And so there was something comforting about that too, I think, because she, you know, she knew me, she delivered Oliver and she was able to do this. So I, it, it was, I would say as good of an experience as you could have for that. Um, she had called me, you know, like four to six weeks later and just said like it was the pregnancy was uh, trisomy 14. And for those of you that have gotten genetic testing, like baseline genetic testing, um, you know, while you're pregnant, typically only checks for like a few um, chromosomal abnormalities. And so um, there's obviously should be 26 pairs. And the, basically the 14th um, pair, instead of it being a pair, had an extra chromosome, so a trisomy. Um, and so, you know, I was like, okay, like, interesting. And I started looking it up and she was just like, you know, this is a fluke. I know you had a miscarriage before, but this is a fluke. She was like, you know, we'll have you come in for a repeat um, blood work to make sure your, you know, levels are going back down to zero. She was like, but when you get your next cycle, she's like, have at it. You can try again okay, you know, this is fluke. She said, this is fluke. And so we, um, you know, we waited till I had my um, first cycle back and um, tried again. And then the second cycle, I got pregnant again. And much like the previous pregnancy, everything seemed normal. And then literally um, I was getting the genetic testing back and I was like, I'm not messing around this time. I will pay extra. I will do a full PNL, all 26 pairs. And so um, the genetic counselor called me like, you know, a few, maybe, maybe like a handful of days after I had taken that um, test. I was almost 12 weeks and she had called me and was like, okay, we are seeing that this um, pregnancy is high risk for um, trisomy 21, which um, is essentially like Down syndrome. And she was like, you're supposed to come in tomorrow for your 12 week ultrasound. What we'd like to do is we'd like to change it to an amniocentesis um, synthesis instead or an amio. She's like, that would definitely confirm or deny um, the kind of like the testing findings. And I was like, oh my God, here, here we go. Um, you know, I should point out that with the exception of my first pregnancy, all of my HDG levels um, for Oliver, for my second pregnancy, um, for my third pregnancy, um, and then the fourth one that I haven't gotten to, all of my hormone levels doubled appropriately. I mean, like we're great, great numbers. And so for women out there that are basing the health of their pregnancy on those first blood level tests, I would just caution them to not take too much stock into that because while a lot of times issues with pregnancies on their viability can be found in those like, you know, weeks five, six, seven, and eight, if you are doing blood tests, um, mine doubled so appropriately for the majority of my pregnancy, pregnancies and only one of them, you know, turned into a live birth. So it can help to determine like if your levels aren't doubling appropriately, that there's something wrong. Um, but it doesn't always mean that everything's going to work out perfectly. Um, and so I, when she called and she had told me, you know, my third pregnancy was most likely going to be um, a pregnancy, you know, with a baby that had trisomy 21, I was like, motherfucker, you know, when am I going to get a break? You know, like, I, I don't understand. How do I get pregnant by drinking water 
and then only for it to like turn into, you know, something else. And my husband was like, okay, let's not jump to any conclusions. You know, we saw the heart rate. It was higher than Oliver's at eight weeks. Like this doesn't make any sense. Like it could be an error. She told you that like, you're going to go in tomorrow for an amnio, like we'll figure this out. So literally an hour after the genetic counselor called, I like literally started spotting and I was like, here we fucking go. Like all I had to hear was there's something wrong. And then my body kicks in you know, thanks for showing up to the party. And so I called the doctor's office. I'm like, this is what's going on. They're like, okay, just come in tomorrow. Um, we'll do an ultrasound. Um, don't worry about like doing this amnio. So I go on the nurse practitioner, um, you know, uses a Doppler burst, can't find a heartbeat. And I was like, okay, well, I know where this is going. And she's like, let's move over to the ultrasound room. Ultrasound tech, you know, um, putting the wand in right away. She's like, I am so sorry. She's like, there's no longer a heartbeat. And you know what? I will be honest. I was a little bit relieved because I was not prepared to have, you know, a baby that had disabilities. And beyond that, there are so many things that people don't realize that come with a trisomy pregnancy, you know, like downs is one thing, but there's a lot of times there's so many heart problems, um, that go along with it. And I, I just was not ready. It's, you know, it would be one thing if it's my only child, but like when I die, when Phil dies, like it would be on Oliver to make all of the decisions. And I just didn't think that was fair. So I actually was kind of relieved when I didn't have to make any decisions that maybe people would judge that I was like, a bad parent. The thing that kind of hurt was when she said it looks like the baby stopped developing around eight or nine weeks because I had gone in right after Christmas for my eight week ultrasound and the baby had a stronger heartbeat than Oliver. And I was like, okay, so you're telling me that within days, a week at most after seeing that, that the baby died. And then for a month, I walked around stupidly thinking I was pregnant and just having this great pregnancy, feeling symptoms. And I essentially was carrying around like a dead baby. And that I think really kind of messed with me. And I really felt like this isn't fair. And why is this happening to me? And then true to form the next day, they had me come in for a DNC and I was obviously on the same floor at Prentice, but I was also in the same room, like the same pre-surgery room, the same recovery room. And although it was like a different doctor, it was like the same team. And it just felt like the worst kind of deja vu that I ever experienced in my life. And I just was like, this is awful. And my husband was supposed to leave um, for Portugal. Um, this was January of this year. Um, he was supposed to leave for Portugal. And he was like, I don't, just don't know how I can leave. Like a couple of days after DNC. And the doctor was like, listen, like she should be fine. Like a couple of days after the DNC, like if there are no sort of symptoms, like you should go. And I was like, yeah, Phil, like you should go. This is a work trip. This is super important. And so I just remember like, you know, I'll be fine. I've gotten through this. I know what to expect. And he left and like literally my DNC, I think was on a Thursday and or Friday maybe. And I remember Monday night, I was laying on the couch. Um, actually, I was like literally sitting at the exact same spot I'm sitting right now. And my son Oliver was sleeping and, um, I was just going to go to the bathroom and I stood up and I felt this incredible rush of fluid, just, just fleeing like down my body. And I was like, what? And I'm like, okay. And so I go to the bathroom, I pull my pants down and I mean, it is like out of a horror show. I was like, oh my God, what is happening? And it was like, not just volumes and volumes of blood, but it was also like 
I, this is hard to explain. It wasn't like clots. It was like chunks, like something I'd never seen in my life. And I like literally called the doctor's office and I'm like, oh my God, I have no idea what's going on. She's like trying to calm me down, but she's also like, okay, go to the emergency room. We will call them ahead of time and let them know that you're coming. And, um, possibly you've retained some tissue from the pregnancy. And so my best friend lives like just a few blocks down and her parents were in town for her son's birthday. And so I had to call them and her mom came and sat with Oliver and my best friend took me to the emergency room. And I'm so grateful for them because in my mind, I was thinking, I sat my husband, you know, out of town, foreign country, cannot get here in time. I am going to die and I'm going to leave my son in his crib. And then he's going to die because nobody's going to be here to like get him up and feed him and change him and all of that. So I'm just so grateful that that wasn't the case. But in my mind, like in that moment, I was like deathly afraid. And I remember she took me to the emergency room. I kept losing blood. Those like chunks I was saying were like coming out and I just didn't understand what was going on. And Finally, you know, they took me back and um, the doctor had kind of brought in some of their like OB team and what they had figured out was I, maybe I had retained a good amount of the placenta. And when he was describing what I was describing back to me, he was like, did it by any chance kind of look like, let's say liver, like liver that you would buy at like the grocery store to make like liver and like kidney beans or something like that. And I was like, oh my God, yes it looked just like that. And he was like, it was most likely a fair amount from what you're describing of your placenta. And he was like, what it sounds like what happened is, is that you retained a fair amount of your placenta um, from your DNC. Um, and basically it's, you know, like a few days later, it started to kind of like break down. And as it was breaking down and maybe like a piece fell out, then a lot of the blood supply behind it had now room to go. And so it was almost like the dam broke. And so like tonight when, you know, they kind of, these chunks kept kind of breaking and then all of a sudden the blood that was pulling behind it just had nowhere to go, but down. So he was like, at this point, um, you know, after we've done like a few ultrasounds, um, it looks like essentially your body has done the remaining work of what should have been done completely at your DNC. He's like, because at this point we can't see anything remaining. So I was like, okay. Um, so we were there for maybe like six, seven hours. We got home at probably like six in the morning and I was supposed to do a presentation for, um, like a 50 person team, like at, I think eight thirty, nine o'clock. And I was like, well, I need to cancel. But then I was like, God, how do I explain this? And I don't even want to get into it. So I still ended up going and basically still to the presentation, like on one hour of sleep after like basically like losing so much blood and no sleep. And I just did it. And um, that was right before shelter in place. Um, and, you know, we had at that point, we're like, there's a problem here. Like something's not right. Um, we got testing back and this time it was like two, um, you know, we were expecting the trisomy 21, but they actually said it was trisomy three and trisomy 21. So, um, at this point we're like, yeah, we need to, we need to get some help. And so we referred to, um, a reproductive endocrinologist that looked at like my medical history and, um, you know, like recurrent miscarriages and, you know, he had just, um, he said we could be a great candidate for IVF um, and that they would do like BGT testing. So he's like, basically only, we'd only implant a normal embryo, assuming that we could get some normal embryos from like your eggs and your husband's sperm. He's like, but you can obviously get pregnant and you can, you know, carry a pregnancy that should not make it um, pretty far along into your first trimester, where usually these kind of get worked out uh, before you even know you're pregnant or, you know, you have a miscarriage like within like a week of finding out you're pregnant. He was like, in your case, you're getting it almost to the second trimester. So he was like, but we should be able to um, make this work. And then shelter in place happened and obviously everything elective. Um, it's crazy that they consider fertility assistance elective, but that was, um, that was shut down. And, you know, he had told us that if, you know, he was like, listen, you could try again. And you could have a completely normal pregnancy. 
Um, but he's like, you could try again and you could have the same thing happen. And he was like, it's just whether or not you want to go through that again. But he was like, we can't move forward here right now. So, you know, you can either hold tight or, um, you know, try one more time. And my husband was like, I mean, the finances, we would be completely self-pay for IVF, you know, COVID's going on, like this just puts us in a precarious position. Why don't we just try one more time? And so we tried one more time and uh, true to form, I got pregnant again right away. And, um, you know, I had started testing really early and kind of like with Oliver, I had tested like a handful of days early and I got um, a positive pregnancy test. And I was just like, why, why would I find out that I'm pregnant so, so early on if this wasn't a viable pregnancy? But you know, at my eight week ultrasound, it wasn't growing appropriately. They couldn't detect a heartbeat. They had me come back a week later and had me hold my breath, physically hold my breath during the ultrasound because they wanted to make sure that they weren't picking up my heartbeat. And that's when they confirmed that there was no heartbeat. And it was just, it felt like too much. Um, they had had me take medication. Um, you know, they knew that they yeah, I didn't want to do a third surgery. They gave me collect collection cups um, to try and collect some tissue at home so they could test it anyways. Um, but the medication did not work. I love getting pregnant. I apparently just love holding on to those pregnancies because I did not want to miscarry that one at all. Two nights in a row of taking medication and it did not budge. Yeah. So I ended up needing to come in for my third DNC. Um, and it was basically my first one was September, 2019. My second one was January of 2020. And my third one was at the end of August. So literally, um, just got it in under the wire, um, a year of, um, miscarriages in DNC. It was like pretty crazy. Um, but thank God I was not in the same room. Um, and this DNC was, um, boring as hell. So no complications. And, um, you know, I found out that it was, um, another trisomy and, um, my pregnancies all after Oliver were all trisomies and they were all girls. So I did kind of find that kind of fascinating. Um, at this point I had told my husband, I felt like I had taken a pretty big leap of faith trying again naturally. And then I asked him, um, or I basically told him, but in a really nice way that now I think he needed to take a leap of faith and move forward on IVF. So um, we did, we moved forward. Um, I had my first retrieval um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, we made a few, um, well, actually, um, I, I did pretty well on it, actually. Um, we ended up sending a few blasts to testing, kind of in the waiting game of finding out if we have um, normal embryos from this batch, but we kind of have like a plan to move forward. I also signed up for like additional coverage that'll start in um, January that follows kind of the Illinois mandate. Um, different states um, offer mandates for fertility assistance. Some don't have them, some do. Illinois actually has one. So I had gotten an insurance plan in Illinois um, and by law, they have to follow the Illinois mandate. So for some reason, this first um, cycle doesn't necessarily pan out the way we had hoped. Um, moving forward in 2021, we won't be self-pay on IVF. So I, I'm happy that we kind of took some steps on um, helping to grow our family, but in a way that like, you know, um, financially can stay responsible as much as, you know, that's important for us. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like my long drawn out journey with, um, loss. And even after all of that, um, I'm very, very hopeful. I'm also very fortunate that I do have Oliver because I realized that there's so many families out there that, um, only have angel babies. And in my case, um, you know, we have Oliver and we're very lucky to have Oliver. We're hopeful that we can give Oliver, um, a sibling, but, um, you know, we've done kind of like what we can. I certainly feel like I've tried, um, more than most people would try. Um, and yet I'm still, I'm still trying. I'm just trying a little bit differently. I'm, I'm no longer going it alone. I'm now doing something I never thought I would do. I always 
just to, I just did not want to do IVF before I even knew what IVF was. I just was like, this is, I can't, I don't want to put hormones in my body. I don't want to do this, but here I am. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> I know Shelly with like five minutes for you to say something now. <laughs> Girl, you have been through so much. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I love, I love the way that you shared and, um, your energy about it. And like, you had me totally relating. You had me like laughing, like you just shared so wonderfully. So I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I always ask at the end of every episode, if you have one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? Wow. Gosh, just one. Um, okay. (laughs) Just the one. Um, well, clearly I'm a rambler, so it's hard to narrow down, but, um, what I will say is as many losses as I've gone through, the one that will always haunt me is my first one. And, um, I think that's both because I felt very unprepared, um, by the doctor for what to expect. Um, I didn't realize until, I had Oliver in the moments that I was experiencing the contractions with Oliver, that that, in fact, the excruciating pain that I was feeling um, during my first miscarriage was actually contractions. Um, I didn't know that. So um, for those women that um, have a miscarriage at home or have a miscarriage anywhere, you know, where they're physically going through it themselves and they're not actually um, having a DNC, that that is something to be prepared for, um, you know, load up on the Tylenol or ibuprofen, whatever um, can help alleviate some of the pain, stay, stay, stay super hydrated. And what they will tell you during labor is don't resist the contractions, move through them, push through them. Um, don't clench, just like let it be like a wave and your body is on that wave. Like as much as I can say, do the same thing with that, um, contraction during your miscarriage because it's actually what is processing the tissue like out of your body. Um, and kind of with that, um, if you are experiencing a miscarriage, um, I would say as as scary as it is and as gross as it seems, um, and as shocking as it is that it's happening to you, um, in that moment, put on like your invisible helmet and you're going to war and just kind of prepare yourself for like, you want to know why that happened. You want to have a complete medical history. You need to be able to say this happened because of this. I will always question why that loss happened. If it was a boy, if it was a girl, what had happened? And sometimes with the DNC, you get that closure because you can ask for that additional testing. When you have a miscarriage at home or in a hotel room or at a mall, you lose that evidence in the toilet. And I wish the doctor had given me collection cups or I wish the doctor had said, get Tupperware. We want some tissue. Don't save the clots. We don't care about the blood. Get some actual tissue put it in the refrigerator, in a bag, and then the next day, bring it to our doctor's office. Like call, say you're dropping this off. We will send it out for testing because I will always be haunted by not knowing. Um, You know, so that would just be like my biggest piece of advice is just um, once you can move past the grief of what's going to be happening, just get that information for yourself and for your future doctors, because it can be invaluable. Um, You know, knowing after each of my DNCs, like this is what it was and being able to grieve the loss of a baby girl three times in a row and have, be able to name her. And, you know, that was so healing to me, but like for my first loss, like we call that first baby, baby B. And I feel like it's like a real disservice. And I know that some people say like, oh, you can go back and, you know, you could name the baby Charlie because Charlie can be a boy or a girl. But I'm like, that's so inauthentic to me now because for years I've been saying baby B. So when I acknowledge my losses, um, and I actually have had a couple of necklaces made, um, 
and one of the necklaces is just like a, a few little gold circles and they have initials. You know, it says B for baby B and then it says Margaret and then it says, you know, Peyton, you know, and it says Corinne and actually it's Margaret, Corinne and Peyton. Um, but those mean so much to me and baby B doesn't mean anything less to me. I just wish that I could honor him or her more appropriately um, than baby B, but you kind of don't know what you don't know. And I feel like if you're able to be able to say this was a boy or this was a girl uh, that, and I named him or I named her, like that may help with the grieving process. It, it, it doesn't guarantee it, but I always feel like some of the biggest things that people experience through their grief of a pregnancy versus a grief of a child that's already been earthbound is like other people's perception of that loss and what type of loss that is. And on the scale of like zero to 10, 10 being the worst, like is that loss closer to a 10 because it was inside of you and we didn't see it. And again, like all of the babies that I lost feel like babies to me, even baby B, but I just wish like I had a little bit more information. And I would hate for anyone that goes through what I've gone through, even just once, I would hate for them to not feel the, the full respect of what their body went through and be able to kind of attach more information to it. And like I said, like a name, you know? Yeah. I totally agree. Mine are baby one, two, and three, four. Like I just yeah. don't have names for them. Yeah. And I just don't feel like I can name them. Like it just doesn't come to me because mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. it's yeah. Just I'm sorry for your losses. I mean, oh, thank you. it's, you know, it's awful. I mean, and you're stronger because of it, but it's, it's so horrible. It's definitely, I mean, your platform that you're creating is just so beautiful because it, this could be the first time that somebody has a conversation about what they've experienced. So, I mean, thank you so much for obviously having me on. Um, I mean, I certainly made <laughs> good use of my time. <laughs> I love the way you shared. If somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Well, on Instagram specifically, um, I share pretty much a ton of stuff about like my losses and um, my journey with like fertility assistance on um, waiting around shy. And it's like waiting like, oh, I hope to lose a bunch of weight. Um, um, but my first name is, you know, kind of spelled kind of funny. So it's H-E-I-D-Y and my last name is best, like you're the best. So um, I definitely share most of my things on Instagram from that one um, account. It's waiting around shy, um, which is supposed to be like waiting around Chicago um, because it started off as like a kind of a journal of like my weight loss journey. And then when I had like my first loss and then I was pregnant with Oliver and it's kind of evolved into just being honest about all things relating to like my health. And so um, I've shared a ton about that. And like I said, obviously I'm an open book. And I will say I've had a ton of people reach out to me that have experienced their own losses and no question is off, um, you know, off topic. Um, I'm, I'm definitely here to provide support and some of the support that has been the most helpful for me has obviously been, I mean, I love, love, love your podcast. Obviously, if somebody needs something where they don't feel comfortable sharing in such a like open way um, where tons of people are listening. Um, you know, I, I definitely feel like I signed up for a free six week um, virtual support group. Um, you know, University of Chicago has a free monthly support group, um, March of Dimes, um, uh, Star Legacy Foundation, um, so many different organizations that offer um, ongoing support. So I, I cannot, um, stress that enough how important that is. And then one last thing that I am super in love with is, um, and I don't work for them or anything, but I definitely love um, the Expectful Meditation app. Um, if you're expecting and then you experience a loss, um, you can change the setting. And instead of, you know, keeping on like of the pregnancy journey, you can switch to their healing from loss library. And that has been instrumental for just like micro 
little therapy sessions, like while I'm falling asleep or during acupuncture, I listen to it. So that's been super helpful. Ooh, that's cool. I didn't know about that. Yes, I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. Thanks, Shelly. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Keep us posted. Good luck. Thank you and good luck to you too. Yeah, thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye, Shelly. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share your life after miscarriage story, go to ShellyMetling.com. Click on the life after miscarriage tab and add yourself right to the recording schedule. And I can't wait to chat with you soon. This one. Just leave.